Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Second Samuel 7, we'll be reading the first 17 verses. The Lord's covenant with David. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you." And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Each week we remember that even though the grass withers and that the flowers fade, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer of illumination. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, Lord, we just thank you for your covenant faithfulness, Lord. We just thank you, 
that you are unchanging, Lord. You remain the same from generation to generation. And uh, Lord, even your word, just uh, as we've read it this morning, Lord, we just thank you for preserving it, that we can read it, Lord. And as Pastor Aaron brings your word this morning, Lord, we just pray that you would just grant him strength, that you would grant him boldness, that you would um, just uh, use him mightily, Lord, and, and work in our hearts, Lord. Cause us just to set aside the daily worries of this world, Lord, uh, just to look upon you, Lord, just to be fed and to be nourished from your word, just to be encouraged in that, and that we may just go forth, Lord, living as people, Lord, just in the joy of knowing who you are, Lord, and just your uh, great and wondrous deeds. All this we ask in your name alone. Amen. May be seated. Thank you, David. So, as you know, we've been looking at some of the covenants of God that He's established with His people over the centuries, starting even in the garden with Adam and Eve, and moving on towards. Noah, we talked about briefly, didn't look at Noah's covenant extensively, but see there God establishing uh, a covenant of stability for the world in which he can build a people. And so God in time calls Abraham and establishes his covenant with him, a promise of seed, a promise of land, a promise to bless him, but also through Abraham to bless all the nations And with that covenant, the sign of circumcision, which Abraham and his offspring must keep, or they themselves will be cut off from the covenant. And then we looked last week at God um, bringing the people out of Egypt. They are there in bondage as they went to find uh, refuge in a time of famine under Joseph's uh, guidance and leadership. But in time, the pharaohs forget about Joseph. They forget about the people of Israel and they enslave them. And we saw last week how God, through Moses, just as he promised Abraham, brings his people out of this foreign land, out of bondage, brings them through the Red Sea. And at Sinai, God establishes the, what we call the Mosaic Covenant, a covenant with Israel as they are no longer just a, a, a large family, but now they are being gathered together as a nation. And God gives them the covenant that will govern them as a nation. It will govern their laws uh, civilly. It governs their laws sacrificially in regards to the ceremonial instructions that God gave them. And the moral law there is written down, though previously, even upon the hearts of man, God writes this moral law, the Ten Commandments, which we've been looking at with the kids, upon the stone. And this is governing all of God's people as a nation. This covenant, Uh, the king himself is to be governed under this and the prophets and the priests and all of the people will be governed according to this covenant. And there are blessings if they keep it, they remain in the land, they enjoy the promises to Abraham. If they break the covenant, then all of the curses of God will be put upon them. And so then we come this morning to God's covenant with David. And uh, I know sometimes I get drawn into watching a time-lapse video. I suppose you've seen these. Somebody videos themselves uh, doing a project from start to finish, and you're able to watch it it kind of almost fast-forward. You can kind of see what's going on, but the whole thing happens quite quickly. 
Uh, you know, it's sometimes I get caught up in, in watching a few of these. A guy building a log cabin in Alaska or something, start to finish, and he videos the whole process. And you can watch it develop in about 12 minutes from foundation to the, the finishing touch. Uh, or maybe someone, you know, um, does a, a time lapse of, of what, uh, whatever they want to see progressing. Maybe it's just the, the sun and, and, and the stars uh, moving across the sky. And it's a very fascinating thing. And in, in many ways, as we consider these covenants, there is almost this time-lapse effect where we're looking at what has unfolded over thousands of years and we can read uh, this, uh, what God has done in these covenants in a few minutes. But we must again realize that this has, has started from the beginning of time and it has been developing and progressing all throughout history and God is moving it towards a great center, which of course is Christ himself. And so this morning we want to look at this covenant to David, this unique promise given with the covenant of Abraham. Um, and we talked a bit about this. Abraham stands as a federal head. So his physical offspring become the recipients of this covenant. And this was true of the covenant with Adam as well. And with Noah, we could say, obviously, Noah stands as a new sort of Adam, though not perfect. But the Mosaic Covenant doesn't really have a federal head in that same sense. Moses was the mediator, but being the physical offspring of Moses didn't really add anything to the, the blessings of that covenant. It was given to the nation of Israel, to the offspring of Abraham. And so in the covenant of David, we have in many ways the establishment of a federal head, of someone who will represent the nation. And through this person... The nation will be either blessed or cursed depending on their obedience to God's covenant. And if you really wanted a summary of the scriptures from this point on, you could really sum it up by saying, and I'm speaking of the Old Testament, sorry, uh, from, from this point of establishing this covenant with David to the, to the end of the Old Testament, it really is, uh, could be summarized as stating, as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. And you see that pattern again and again. You read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and it is this chronicle of some kings who honor and obey the Lord, and as a response, the nation is blessed and led into righteousness and peace and blessing. But kings who, who disregard the command of God and break his commandment, then the nation is brought under the judgment of God, and they are exiled at times. They experience um, the, 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 the nations around them that attack them and, and pillage them, and they experience disease and plague. And so this is the establishment in many ways of a representative under this Mosaic covenant who will go forward and represent the people of God. And this idea of kingdom runs throughout the scriptures. Um, the Hebrew word Malkuth is used many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Basileia, the, the Greek word for kingdom. And it, it denotes this idea of authority, of rule, of reign, of dominion. And so obviously connected with a kingdom, even young children understand this, there, there must be a king. There must be one uh, whom has the authority and governs over the kingdom. And so while we could say that in many ways Joshua and Caleb as they brought the people into the promised land, they experienced the promise that God gave to Abraham in a sense. They came into the land. They dispossessed the nations before them. They, they began to experience what it was to have a homeland. But we quickly realized that under their 
uh, under the coming into the land, this is not going to last. The people break the covenant. They turn to the gods of the nations and they are driven out. They are plagued by disease. They are afflicted on every side because of their disobedience. There lacks this leader who will represent the people, lead the people before God. And in fact, as you know, Judges ends with the uh, statement, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is set up as a problem. Israel is, is going to continue in debauchery and brokenness and rebellion. There needs to be a king, a king after God's own heart who will lead the nation. And we've been working through 1 Samuel. We saw how the people... Uh, in their own selfish desires, were given Saul as almost a sort of judgment upon them. And then God, in his timing, raises up David, a king after his heart. And so we are fast-forwarding quite a while from when David is first filled with the Spirit and anointed by Samuel, and God here establishes his covenant with David. And there are three elements that I want to look at uh, that, that make up this covenant promise And so we could ask the question, how does God desire to to bring about this glorious kingdom for his people through David? How is he going to establish this kingdom? Because this is really what the people are desiring, a a glorious kingdom in which to dwell, in which to live, in which to uh, enjoy God himself. And so how is God going to bring this about through David? And so three elements through which God will establish this kingdom with David as a king. We see, first of all, that God tells David he will establish for him a throne. He is going to establish a throne for David. And it's interesting how the account opens up because David is wanting to build for God a temple. This is obviously a good desire. God has, his, his dwelling has been the, the tabernacle, which was portable. It was a tent and it was meant to be moved around, and, and uh, many times we're not even sure where the tent was. We know it was at Shiloh for a time, and Eli was there, and that was, the ark was taken, and the, 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 the tabernacle uh, no longer was referenced as being there. And so David desires to build God a temple worthy of him. But in turn, God comes to David and says he's actually going to build him a dynasty. He's, he doesn't need the dwelling, though that will happen. He's going to build for David a throne and he's going to establish it forever. In verse 9, we find that he tells David um, that he has been with him and he has protected him and that he will make for him a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth. And he goes on and says that um, I will give you rest from your enemies and the Lord declares to you that I will make you a house When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we see God repeats this again at the end of verse 16 there. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. So God promises David a throne that will be established and will abide forever. And this also connects us to the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, God told Abraham, 
From you will come kings and rulers. The, the promise to Abraham had a royal element to it. Not just a seed who will be a blessing, but a royal seed. There will be a king. There will be uh, princes that come from Abraham. And this is picked up then with David as the offspring of Abraham. And God tells David, I will establish for you, David, a throne. And it will abide forever. And I think as parents, we all have a desire to leave something of an inheritance for our children. It is, I think, a, a godly desire. And, uh, and there's no you know, set exact amount as to what we have to, to leave to them. I was joking with the boys the other day that one of them can have our, our van and the other one can have the old Suburban. And Caleb decided that he wanted the chickens. And so we're trying to figure out exactly what this inheritance <laughs> might look like. And uh, perhaps you've taken time to make a will that will spell out what will happen to your earthly possessions when you go. And certainly that's also a loving thing to do uh, and so that your children aren't left trying to, to sort that out after. But we see here that God as a gracious, loving father, uh, in David's desire to give him a gift, a dwelling, God says, well, actually, David, I'm going to give you an inheritance. And that is going to be in part this established throne. It will abide and your offspring will sit upon the throne forever and your kingdom will be established. And that is a tremendous blessing to David. I think we sometimes miss the the weight of this. We don't maybe place as much emphasis in our own thinking as, as an enduring line. But of course, for the Jewish people, this was extremely important. So much so that if a, a wife died without having offspring to continue her husband's line, it was part of the brotherly responsibility to to perpetuate his line. And to us, that just seems rather bizarre. But in the, in the, the Hebrew mind, this was one of the greatest blessings that could have been given to David, an enduring line that will continue on through the ages. And this makes up the first element of this covenant promise to David. This does not mean that all of David's offspring will be Uh, godly kings or will have an enduring throne. We will see that this promise speaks generally to the offspring of David, but not necessarily to each individual offspring, as there will be some who are godless and some who lead well according to the commands of God. And God will prune off the godless offspring and those who honor him, they will enjoy the blessings of this promise. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. And so as we think about even ourselves today, we all have a, I think, a natural desire for godly leadership, to see godly rulers governing the land, governing the homes, governing the workplace. This is something that is ingrained within us. And here God is giving a promise, not just to David, but we see to the nations, there will be a righteous king whom God will establish after this king who is, uh, has a heart after God's own heart. And, and David then becomes this picture, this sort of shadow of the type of king that will come, obviously in an imperfect way as David himself battles sin, but he is set up as something of a picture of this king whom God will provide, this throne which God will establish. And we need to constantly ask ourselves as well, Who do we serve? Because you see, there is either this king of the line of David, whom God will provide and a throne that God will establish, or there are the usurpers, those who who try to, to rise to power and take 
authority from that of the Lamb, and we see this uh, even in Revelation, is, is masked behind the dragon who, who speaks and gives authority to the beast and authority to the, the, the Lamb. Uh, and, and this often manifests itself even in godless governments. Certainly we don't have to look very far today to see governments in our own country that have set themselves against God. But we think of even Psalm 2, that why do the nations rage? Why do they plot in vain? Do you not know that God has set his king upon Zion's hill? He has established a throne. He has promised it to David. And so we can take heart. We can find encouragement in this promise. And we can preach to ourselves often that my loyalty is with Christ. Though the kings of this world would threaten my life or take my freedoms because of my allegiance to Christ, I will not waver. I will stand fast. I will hold on to the king whom God has established and his throne we know will endure. And we need to preach that to ourselves often. And that leads us then to the second element that God uh, gives to David, which makes up this, this promise, this blessing of a of glorious kingdom. And it could be summarized as God will give rest and abundance in the land. So not only will God establish the throne of David, but he will give to him rest and abundance. And not just for him, but for those under him. They will enjoy peace from their enemies. And and in a sense of actually resting in the presence of God and abundance. Again, this draws very clearly back even to the Garden of Eden, these themes that were established there. Man put in a garden of provision and abundance. And it's interesting, even as you look at the the days of creation, after each day of creation, we have it stating that, and God uh, has the the pattern, sorry, uh, the morning and evening the first day, morning and evening the second day. And, And yet when we come to the seventh day in Genesis, if you look, that is not there. There is no statement morning and evening the seventh day. It is just this picture of God resting and almost this sense in which man enters into God's rest. And it is almost this idea of it unending. It's not given that closing statement morning and evening as the other days. It's, it's this picture that man is, is placed in a garden to enjoy rest in God's presence. Yes, working. Yes, tending the garden and governing over this kingdom which Adam was given. But this is a picture picked up again here. Through David, God says, I will bring rest to my people. They will be abundant as I had designed them initially to be. They will be prosperous. And God uses this imagery of planting, even in uh, verse 10 here, as he talks to David. He says, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And he references the time of the judges, which we know is just constant uh, battle and war and affliction. And so this imagery of, of planting them in a land where they can rest and prosper. Now I realize that it seems to be in my family something of a, uh, an inability to, to grow fruit trees. And uh, I was thinking about this, and it's I suppose kind of funny, but kind of sad at the same time. Um, always wanted to have a fruitful crab apple tree or just an apple tree. And I think th- those of you who can, who can grow fruit trees uh, have a very special gift or, or blessing from the Lord to develop these things. But as a boy, uh, I remember my brother and I ran over a crab apple tree with a lawnmower. 
accidentally, I suppose, and, and mom was going to garbage it, so we planted this in, in our little garden plot. And it did begin to grow, and, and actually now the tree stands much taller than me. It's you know, probably about 12 feet high and very big. The problem is, is that it doesn't actually produce fruit. It has these tiny little apples that you can't actually enjoy. And uh, this has been an ongoing problem in my life. Even uh, a couple years ago, I saw some apple trees at Costco, and I talked to the, the lady there, and she said, yeah, you have to get you know, two trees so that they can cross-pollinate and put them you know, so, and so far apart. And so I did all of this, planted them, tried to put them in good soil, fertilize them, water them, and the first spring, um, they both died. And so the one of them I was hoping would maybe come to life and actually did have some shoots coming up from the bottom. But as I was told, apparently this tree probably will not produce fruit either. And so I've had this ongoing problem of developing a, a healthy fruit tree. And maybe just need to count on buying you know, apples from the store. <laughs> but this picture is one that God uses over and over in regards to his people. And it is this idea of planting them in their own land and allowing them to rest to the point where they begin to bear much fruit, to be abundant and to to be productive. And this is part of the promise that God is giving to, to David, that there will be this sense of rest. You all know that you can't continually transplant a tree. If you do that, it will never produce and will certainly die. It must have a place where it can be rooted down and can begin to, to draw out the, the healthy nutrients of the soil and be established and rest in that sense. And so this is a promise through David. He says, my people will rest. They will enter the land. They will dwell secure. They will be a prosperous people. And of course, we know that Israel, even as Hebrews tells us, did not enter into the rest of God. And why did they not enter into the rest? Because of unbelief. They could not and did not keep the covenant of God. And so they did not experience the rest of God. And in fact, God told them in his anger, you will not enter my rest. And yet we come to the wonderful words of Jesus Christ who picking up also on these themes, Matthew eleven twenty eight, he cries out in the streets, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And God promised through David's line a throne And one through whom will be brought rest and abundance. And Christ announces to the streets of Israel and to the Gentile nations, Come to me. Come to me, all you are laboring and heavy laden, who are burdened down with all of the cares of this life and and all of the frustrations of futility that sin has brought upon upon us. Come to Christ and there in him you will truly begin to experience rest for your souls, and we will see in future weeks that it is Christ who will continue to build upon and establish these promises. So I pray you are even now looking unto Christ and finding in Him rest from all of your laboring. Not that we quit our jobs, not that we stop working day by day, but the sense of striving for righteousness, for striving for peace in our own souls with the things that we do or the things that we try to accomplish. We set that aside and we say, in Christ alone, I find rest. In Him, 
it is well with my soul. And that is something we do upon initially receiving Christ at salvation and being baptized, but also it is a daily task that we must give ourselves to learning to rest in him and then by his spirit being fruitful and abundant unto God. So the third then and final element that God gives to David through which he will bless his people is not only a throne, rest, and abundance in the land, but also we're told that he will bless his people with his own presence and protection. And this is something that God reminded David of even as he began this covenant promises to him. He reminded David that he has been with him wherever he has gone. And that because of God's presence with David, he has been kept from his enemies. In verse 9, I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name. But also God tells David that not him, because we know David as a man of war, God said, would not be the one to build the temple. In verse 13, God also tells David that his son shall build a house for his name and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so there's this promise of a house. Now, we of course know this would be fulfilled in the life of Solomon, the son of David, who would build the temple for God. And this temple represents the presence of God among his people. Because man is sinful, because we have separated ourselves from God in our sinfulness, God establishes a sacrificial system through which he can mediate his presence to his people and he can manifest his presence among his people. And this is the purpose of the temple. It is this clear picture that there is a separation between sinful man and a holy God. And in order for sinful man to enjoy his presence, there must be the sacrificial blood upon the altar. There must be atonement for man's sin. And they need a representative to come into God's presence. All of these things were were established so that Israel could enjoy God's presence while God still being holy and just and set apart from sinful humanity. And God tells through David that he will establish his presence with his people. And it's interesting if you... uh, Flip over just for a minute to 1 Kings 8. Um, We have in 1 Kings 8, Solomon giving thanks for the temple that has been established and the prayer of dedication to the temple. And in 1 Kings 8, um, verse 27, we see clearly that David David and, and Solomon, his son, understand that God is not contained in a temple. Uh, this was something they understood very well. In verse 27 of 1 Kings 8, Solomon says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord, my God, listening to the cry, to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And so Solomon understood very well, God is not contained in this temple. It is a representation of his holiness and it is a place in which God has set his name, Solomon says, through which God mediates his presence to his people 
But it does not contain him. Paul would say the same things to the Athenians in Acts 17. That God is is not served by human hands, nor does he dwell in temples made by human hands. He is infinite. He is is vast, beyond even the universe. And and so these temples are meant to represent his manifest presence among his people. His protection and his guidance upon them. This is why it was so devastating, if you recall, in 1 Samuel when the ark was taken um, by the Philistines. Because this represented God's covenant, his blessing, his promises towards the people. And so this is perhaps the most glorious promise of this covenant to David. God dwelling with his people, his own presence being their strength, being their protection and their guard. And, and, and even you think of Moses as he was preparing to, to go um, from the mountain. And because of people's sin, God said, I, I'm not going with you, Moses. You can go, and I'm not going. And Moses essentially said, well, if you don't go, then, then we can't go either. You have to come with us. Your presence must be among us. And God heard his plea. And that is very much the case for us as well. We understand the greatest gift that God can give is the gift of himself, his own dear presence, as we sing, to lead and to protect. Perhaps even for you, um, boys and girls, sometimes, especially this time of year where it's dark so much, perhaps you have to go outside and get something from the car. Maybe you have to go and water the animals or um, you know, bring in some more firewood, whatever it might be. And, and sometimes it can be uh, a little frightening to go out into the dark, isn't it? Um, sometimes my boys are supposed to go out and get the eggs or something if they didn't get them earlier. And the littler ones look up at you and, and they say, well, dad, can you come with me? Can you come with me, dad? And uh, they, they don't want to go out into that darkness alone, do they? And, and, and if we're honest, I think even as adults, sometimes we, we're a little nervous to be alone in certain places or maybe in a, in a strange city. And uh, to have a friend or your husband or wife with you can be a sense of comfort. Well, this is the picture that God is giving to David. I will be with you. I will dwell among you. I will be present. And it's my presence that will protect you from the enemies. So it's a wonderful covenant that God establishes here with David. And the promises are rich and glorious. And yet we must also understand, as I try to wind this down here, that Even with this covenant to David and the promises given to him, there were still conditions as with the other covenants. We saw with Moses, they had the condition to maintain the sign of circumcision and kind of the the unspoken uh, reality of walking in accordance to God as Abraham, the man of faith, live according to faith. We saw with Moses, clearly they must obey all of the laws that God gave to them. And even here with the promises to David, there still are conditions that God gave to him. Um, listen to David's words in 1 Kings 2. This is as David is at the end of his life and he is speaking to his son Solomon and he, he brings up this covenant to, uh, to him from God. But listen to the instruction he gives to Solomon because it helps us understand also the conditions that were given. He says in uh, 1 Kings 2 um, and uh, verse 2, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. 
and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And so David looks to Solomon and says, Solomon, God has put his blessing upon us. He's given us these promises. But if you don't walk according to the word of God, then these can be removed from you individually to Solomon and to all of the offspring. If they themselves don't hold fast, they will be cut off. Yet God's promise of a descendant of David to be upon the throne stands. But for each individual king, there is this call to be obedient, to love the Lord with their heart and soul. And God affirms the same thing to Solomon as Solomon assumes the throne and takes the position as leader of Israel in 1 Kings 6, 11. We're told, now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. And so there are promises, but still warnings given to each individual Israelite, each individual descendant, and especially here to each offspring of David. Keep his commandments. Love the Lord. Obey him. Walk according to him. Do not turn to the idols of the nations. If you do that, God will cut you off from these blessings. And this is an important aspect to understand of these blessings. God is faithful to his promise. He will see that those promises, every one of them, are fulfilled. And yet for each individual, there is a call to obedience there is a call to serve the Lord with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we see that God's promises in many ways were fulfilled. And this also is important for us to understand because a lot of people today are still waiting for another temple to be rebuilt as though this is still an outstanding promise that God has yet to fulfill. But when you look at the account of the kings, many of these promises were in a sense actually fulfilled. Again, um, you don't have to turn to all these. I know I'm jumping around a bit here, but um, 1 Kings, again, 8.56, as Solomon is dedicating the temple, he's recounting all that God has done. Listen to what Solomon says about the promises of God. He says, uh, 1 Kings 8.56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant, the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. And then Solomon goes on to pray for God's continual presence and, and protection upon the nation. But they understood that there's a sense in which the promise for the land was fulfilled in Joshua and was 
established in David and was fully realized in Solomon. The promise of a house that God would build was realized in Solomon. He built the temple. It was glorious and God's presence filled it and the nation streamed to the temple to behold this glorious thing, this glorious God of Israel, the the queen of Sheba coming and, and talking to Solomon, gleaming from his wisdom, marveling at this people that God had established. Could anyone really accuse God of not having fulfilled his part of the agreement to David and to the people of Israel. No, they experienced, and Solomon says, not one word of all his good promise has failed. They have realized it. They have experienced it. And yet we know that because of unbelief, Israel was cut off. They separated themselves from the blessing. And yet God also did promise David that there will be this eternal sense in which his throne will be established. And so we may wonder, well, how is that going to be realized? Are we waiting for the nation of Israel to be established again as a nation? That would be the dispensational view, I suppose. I know we'd hopefully get time to, sorry, I don't know what I just did. Hopefully time to explore that a bit more in the future. But, but realize that There's a sense in which these things were fulfilled to these people. And yet, they broke the covenant. And the sons of David were unfaithful. And it's fascinating if you look at the way that first king... um, Sorry, I know I'm going a bit long here, but I'll try to wrap this up. This is just too good to pass up, and then we'll we'll try to wrap it all up here. Um, At the end of second kings, there's this incredible picture... Because we've gone through all of these kings, some of them okay, some of them, you know, you have a very rare king like Josiah who brings about reform and tries to return the nation back to the covenant uh, of God. But by and large, the kings are godless and wicked and lead the nation astray. And at the end of kings, this is how the, the account ends. You have Jehoiakim, the offspring of David, and we're told he's the king of Judah, and he's... Um, been, they're, they're in captivity in Babylon. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, we're told, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, according to his daily needs as long as he lived. And that's the end of the account of Second Kings. And we think, what in the world is going on there? These kings have been evil. They have broken God's commandment. They have not kept his word. They have been exiled. Here is the offspring of David in exile, in prison. And yet, for some reason, this king of Babylon shows kindness to him. He removes the prison clothes. He's able to dine at the king's table. All of this indicating that God has not forsaken the line of David. Though many decades would pass, many centuries would go by, God has not forgotten that through the line of David, a king will be raised up to bring about these covenant promises. And as centuries go by, we find that an angel appears to a man named Zechariah, who has entered into the Holy of Holies to offer incense. And the angel tells Zechariah, as we read in Luke's account, that, that he will have a son. Though his wife is barren, his wife will have a son. And his name will be John. 
And John will go as a forerunner for the son of David, for the offspring who is going to come. And then six months later, we have this word to a young virgin girl, a young Israelite. Gabriel comes to her and says in Luke 1.28, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so let us rejoice in the faithfulness of God, in a covenant-keeping God. Even when man is faithless, God remains faithful. And so we can stand fast, knowing that all of his promises will surely come to pass, even towards us in Christ, the offspring of David. Let's pray, and we will close there this morning. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that For us who are so removed from these cultures and times and customs, it can be difficult to to really sense the weightiness of what's happening, Lord, and, and even just the struggles of so many men and women who, Lord, experience these times in which you worked. But we give you thanks that you have been faithful to your word. When man has forsaken you, Lord, you have not forsaken us. And we see in Christ, Lord, the glorious fulfillment of these promises, these covenants that really establish the the, the, the way for Christ to come as the true son of David, as the faithful offspring of Abraham, as the the new Adam, Lord, as the ark of our salvation. We, We praise you at your wisdom and how you have unfolded this story. And we pray your spirit. Increase our joy and our confidence in you, the wonder of of this gift in Christ that we have. And Lord, help us to live truly as citizens of his kingdom, even though the prince of the power of this air is still at work and the sons of disobedience. Lord, help us to, to be crucified to the old man, no longer walking in the passions of our flesh, but Lord, being filled richly by your spirit, walking in the strength that you provide. And we ask this, For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.